Well, life before Jesus was chaos. It was hopeless and it just really felt empty. I struggled with depression, anxiety, um, our marriage struggled. We could not connect or communicate in a healthy way. Um, our home life seemed upside down. It was really tiring, actually. Yeah, it was uh, just hard to understand even why I was, you know, doing the things I was doing. It felt unfulfilled. Before Jesus, I was really afraid of fitting in, uh, what people thought about me, whether or not I was a good mother. I was afraid of the spiritual realm that is around us, of being alone, living a life without purpose. The fear felt like a little debilitating, like it just made it difficult to, to move forward. It really just was never ending. Like it just was like this empty pit that I kept trying to fill. And no matter what I was doing, uh, it was either making me sick mentally or emotionally or spiritually or affecting our family in, in a negative way. So it was just kind of like this cycle. Yeah, the fear felt like uh, stressful, I guess, like, like a weight. I started coming to Christ through some friends who were sharing pieces of the Bible with me and who were praying with me and who were just there to support me when I was going through my stressful uh, times uh, through the power of prayer and uh, spending time with them. I started to get to know Jesus. The feelings of knowing Jesus just brings me absolute joy. It is fullness, it is full of purpose. I feel complete, uh, I feel loved, I feel supported like I've never felt before through any of those other means that I've ever looked through or for in the world. It didn't provide anything like Jesus has provided for me. Finding Jesus uh, has taken the weight off my, my shoulders. Uh, I feel empowered through Jesus that, you know, I, I will succeed and I can, uh, you know, bring God's will forward through my life. The coming of Jesus uh, stills our fears uh, by giving us a reminder that God came and gave himself, his son, uh, to us to bridge the gap between us and and him so that we could have a relationship and eternal life uh, with him in heaven. Uh, for those who are struggling with fears, I would, uh, yeah, encourage them to pray to Jesus and to simply uh, have a conversation with God through Jesus uh, so that they can work through those fears and get all the love and strength that they need to overcome them. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. Aaron, Aaron and Trisha are actually with us in this service in the top row up there. And uh, they live here in town, and they are part of this church family. In case anybody was wondering, are those paid actors? Are they, where are they from? Uh, no, they're part of our church community, and we wanted to share that with you. I, my name is Mike. I serve at this church as the pastor, and uh, I had the privilege, Aaron and Tricia asked me earlier this year, would you do our wedding? We'd, we'd like to make everything as formal as possible and make this official. And I said, all right. And so we set sail out onto the ocean, two sailboats, and they got married on the boat. It was very, very beautiful, maybe the most beautiful um, ceremony I've been privileged to officiate. Almost had the biggest accident I've ever seen at a uh, wedding as well. One of the most senior attenders nearly fell backwards into the ocean, and uh, that would have ruined everything. But it, it, I don't know, angels or something, they stayed in, and they are married, so we're very happy about that. You may have um, given thought from time to time to some of the lyrics that show up in Christmas carols. Today already we've sung a line, shepherds, why this jubilee? If you're familiar a little bit with the Christmas story, it does include shepherds and they seem to be pretty happy about things after having been pretty afraid of things. We're going to look at something quickly in Scripture. I want to draw just a few thoughts from that for us to ponder this year and take into the year in front of us. And uh, as we approach the Scripture, I, perhaps there's three questions for my talk today. Question number one is, what were the shepherds actually afraid of? Number two is, who is Tom Holland? And number three is, why did the shepherds find out about Jesus' arrival first? Let me read for you from Luke chapter 2, in case you ever maybe at home are wanting to read the Christmas story, the book of Luke is a great place to find that in the scriptures. It says this in verse 8, and there were shepherds living, can you say the word living? living. Shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Now when the author writes the word living in there, um, in the ancient Greek, they're not pointing out the fact that these were not dead shepherds, they're pointing out the fact that these shepherds didn't live in town, they lived out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. As a church family, over these last few weeks approaching Christmas, we have been thinking through the reality that in the Christmas story, there are four times that an angel shows up with an important announcement, and that at the beginning of their announcement, the first words out of their mouth are, don't be afraid. And so we've been thinking about what did that mean to Zechariah and then to Mary and then to Joseph, and today we ponder it with these shepherds. Don't be afraid, said the angel. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Can you say all? Very good. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger or in like an animal's feeding trough. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people upon whom God's favor rests. What were the shepherds afraid of? Who is Tom Holland? Why did the shepherds find out first? I, 
I want us to think first about the first question. Why were the shepherds afraid? Probably, uh, you know, if angels are showing up, surprisingly, that would be one reason I'm thinking. Um, There were some other reasons. And I, I wonder, as you ponder in your own life, what kind of fears you and I are familiar feeling. There's all kinds, aren't there, unfortunately? And sometimes the more imaginative, imaginative our minds are, the more things we can realize we can be afraid of. I remember when I was a little kid, I was familiar with the Christmas story, and somehow one night I put it together that, wait, an angel might actually appear to me for some reason, and I will be very afraid of that. Like, I just, I knew that. And um, my bedroom was situated near the family um, washroom, and so I would lay in bed afraid, this went on for several weeks, that an angel might suddenly show up and scare me, and uh, I'd be praying, God, don't send any angels to me, please. I just want to have a good sleep. And then one, my mom or dad, when they're going to bed, of course, they use the washroom, so they turn the light on, and I would duck under the covers because now the angels are coming. Um, thankfully, I didn't have any angels appear. But yeah, granted, that's scary. I can think of a few other scary experiences I've had. When I got my driver's license, back when it was easy to get your driver's license, uh, you know, you just did a test, and then two weeks later, you could pass. And uh, no N's, no L's, all that stuff. Anyway, so I passed. And so me and my friends, 16 years old, we said, let's go camping. It was October. Let's camp anyways. We don't know how to camp. Let's camp anyways. I had a 1980 Firebird. Let's camp anyways. And so off we went into the bush to camp. And the weather was terrible. And we forgot, of course, that in October, the sun sets much earlier than the summer. We, hadn't, we were just not prepared. So Uh, One of our friends said, here's what our family does to eat, and so he had prepared some stuff, vegetables in tinfoil, and then there was only four of us, but he bought two whole chickens, he said, let's cook them all, so we did, and then it got dark, and we had eaten one chicken, we're like, "There's, we don't even have light, Uh, I guess we're going to bed, and so it was like eight o'clock, it was nothing else to do, so we went to bed, and then I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm sharing a a tent with my friend Scott, and um, he's swearing a lot in the middle of the night. And I sit up, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he uses a lot of expletives to tell me to be quiet. And I said, what are you, what are you doing? He said, there's a bear. I said, what? He said, there's a bear right outside our tent right now. I said, no, what? And he said, we left the other chicken outside. It's hot chicken in foil outside our tent all night long. I mean, it was like a dinner bell ringing for any bear that wants to come. And I didn't know if I could believe him, but sure enough, you could hear him right outside. And guess where the rest of the food was? It was in the tent with us. So I pulled, you know, remember what I did with the angel fear thing? You know, so I guess it's my move. I just go under the blankets. So under the blankets I go, and my heart had been wandering far from God for many years. But that was kind of a moment where I'm like, I I bet you're real, and I need you to be real right now, because I think this is the end. And I made my peace with God, and I prepared to die. And somehow I actually managed to fall asleep after about half an hour of praying furiously like I'd ever had before under my breath. Uh, And I did fall back asleep. And we woke up. There was not even a trace of the tinfoil. The bear had eaten it all and taken everything else it could find. Thankfully, it didn't come into our tent to take our food. But uh, by and far, that was one of the most scariest experiences of my whole life. I thought in that moment, I'm going to die. Um, You've had scary experiences of all kinds. Um, Some of them feel very normal, and then sometimes they get quite exaggerated in our inner world, don't they? And several years ago, and it's around Christmas every year that I remember it, um, I spiraled into some mental health problems and experienced anxiety like I never had ever before. And what 
seemed like normal fears to me were totally irrational to anybody else I talked to about them. In fact, I was afraid to talk about my fears. And so I just quietly suffered for quite a long time on the inside being tormented by irrational fears. I remember my wife would text sometimes saying, I'm coming home from work and I knew it takes 12 minutes. And if she hits all reds, maybe it'll be 13 minutes. But, and the moment it passed 13 minutes, my mind would be it would just total out of control. I could imagine every awful scenario that must have happened to her and that's why she hasn't home yet. And, and, and of course it was nothing like that at all, but I was just haunted by fears. Maybe you know what it's like to be haunted by fears. I think it's good news for humans that the story of Christmas is meant to address fear for us in many ways. Zechariah experienced that, Mary experienced it, Joseph experienced it, and these shepherds they were afraid too. They were afraid, yeah, like we said, maybe of the angels just showing up, but I think there was something bigger they were afraid of. You see, in the ancient Near East, in the Roman um, world of the time, Rome dominated everything at that moment of history when Jesus was born. At that moment, shepherds were the epitome of being an outsider when it came to being a social outcast. They didn't fit. They didn't belong. Remember how I had you say the word living? They were living outside in the fields. The author wasn't saying, no, 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 these aren't dead shepherds, they're live ones, they're alive ones. He's pointing out, no, no, these are shepherds, like the real kind, the outcast kind, the social misfit kind. Yeah, they don't get to live in town with everybody else, they just don't belong, so they kind of found a way to make it work on the outside with their sheep. What were the shepherds afraid of? Why did the angels say, don't be afraid? I think the shepherds were perhaps afraid of always being left on the outside. I think that's a pretty human feeling at times. And uh, it leads me to my second, maybe most important question, who's Tom Holland? Um, and so here's Tom Holland, but this is not the one I'm talking about. There's actually another one. Some of you recognize this Tom Holland, that's Spider-Man. There's another Tom Holland. Believe it or not, there's two in the world. This is the other Tom Holland. He's a historian. Um, and he's an author. Uh, he has decades of experience as an atheist. He was raised Christian, so he, like many of us in the room, he was maybe raised with the Christmas story, and then as he grew older, he's, you know, scientific mind starts questioning certain things, and very historical type person, so he's interested in history and facts and all that kind of stuff. Um, several years ago, he released an article called Why I Was Wrong About Christianity. And in it, he talks about, as a child, he was absolutely fascinated with dinosaurs. Anybody been there before, Love dinos? Yeah, Tom Holland loved dinosaurs. Why did he love dinosaurs? He says because they were glamorous, ferocious, and extinct. And those three reasons also were at the center of what became to him quite an interest in Greek history, ancient Greek history, and ancient Roman history. And that's hence him becoming a historian in ancient worlds. And uh, much like the dinos, he was fascinated with ancient Greeks and ancient Romans because they were glamorous, ferocious, and extinct. And much like dinosaurs, um, a dinosaur seems interesting in a children's book or a science journal. Um, but if you were like six feet away from a velociraptor, less interesting, <laughs> more intimidating, isn't, you know. And, and Tom Holland would say, you know, I discovered that my initial fascination with ancient Greece and ancient, ancient Roman culture, the closer, as, a, as an educated historian, the closer I got to it, the, scare, the more scared I was of it. 
the, and because we have children here, I won't go into a whole bunch of historical lessons about just how despicable the Roman culture became and how they treated people. But essentially, in the Roman world, there was no sense at all that the weak in this world, that the poor in this world, or that the outsiders mattered at all. And so Tom Holland, as he's learning this sort of, he's getting into the minds of all these Roman writers and historians and emperors, he's faced with a question, a problem. If that's the world they lived in, how did we get into the world that we live in right now that largely esteems love and compassion, that largely cares for people, that largely values equality, that largely helps the weak, that largely believes that the poor and the outsiders matter. This became a quest for Tom Holland. And after years of searching history and what caused shift over time, his conclusion was it was the birth of Jesus. It was the teachings of Jesus. And it was the way his first followers lived them out. It actually led to the overthrow of the Roman Empire and shaped history forever because of it. First question, what are the shepherds afraid of? Second question, who's Tom Holland? Got that now. Third question, why the shepherds first? If you follow the Christmas story, the shepherds are the first one to get the news that Jesus is born. Why? Nothing says that Jesus and his help are for absolutely everyone, like announcing it first, not to those who are on top of the world, but to those who feel like they're at the bottom. Not to those in power and with control, not in palaces, but to those who were afraid. I mean, if this is all true, if God, if Jesus, then what a wonderful gesture that the creator doesn't go, you know, well, I'm coming to earth, let's find out who feels they're in charge right now on earth and I'll, let's, I'll deal with them first because I have the most in common and then we'll kind of take it down from there. No, he shows up, who's most afraid, who feels like they're on the outside, let's tell them first. I think that's a beautiful thought. I wonder, we don't know how many shepherds actually showed up to visit Mary and Joseph and meet baby Jesus. Uh, you can count in your nativity scene how many shepherds there might have been that many or more, who knows. But uh, when they showed up, I've got to wonder, did any of those shepherds look at Jesus in a manger, so like literally in an animal's feeding trough, and did any of them think, you know, when I was a baby, that's the kind of place I was laid in too? Because where did they live? Not in town where things were a bit more comfortable and convenient. They were left to family life on the outside in the hillsides. And so it's very likely maybe some of them, some of them had actually been laid in a manger, an animal's feeding trough at one point too when they were a baby because of systemic poverty and just what life was like for a shepherd at the time. And if that's the case, pretend with me, maybe that did happen. Um, that's not the storyline we were expecting. God comes to live with people and identifies with palace and power and control. No. Um, he comes and he identifies with those who are on the outside. And so the, the angels show up to these shepherds, just minding their own business, doing their thing in the hills, as they've always done. 
And the angel says, don't be afraid. It's not going to be like this forever. There's hope for you. There's hope for our world. I don't know what kind of things you might be afraid of. Maybe you are afraid of angels like I've been. Maybe you're afraid you have a healthy respect of bears. Anybody? Uh, maybe you're a vegetarian and you're afraid of good food. Um, <laughs> There's another church that you could go to. If you, I'm just, uh, just joking. You're welcome here. Uh, I'm not trying to make outsiders. Uh, more seriously, though, maybe you're afraid of death. Anybody watch Pride and Prejudice, like the original BBC, 1996? It's like four days long to watch. We actually watch it every year as a family for Christmas. And uh, we've been through it once already this year, and uh, we've been watching this for many, many years. I'm now 42, which I think I'm a middle-aged man now. Um, thank you for the sympathy, whoever that was. This was the first time in watching um, Pride and Prejudice that I looked at, like, the parents and some of the people that I used to think, wow, they're so old, and I was like, well, you know, they don't look that old. And it scared me, because so I thought, where are all the old people going, and how come everybody else is so young? You know, when you see people drafted into the NHL, you're like, what? They're so young. When I've done weddings recently for people, I remember a year ago I did a wedding for a couple, and they were like 22 and 23, and I, it was the first time in my life I looked at these people, I didn't say it out loud, but I thought, they're just kids. <laughs> and the reality is I'm old. And all of us are aging, and so maybe some of you, you're afraid of death, you're afraid of aging. Or as you think about next year, you're like, I hear the word recession, I'm afraid. There's all kinds of things that we could be afraid of, losing someone. You might be afraid of the unknown. You might be afraid of what you can't control. You might be afraid of being insignificant or being on the outside. So what do we do? What do we do with that? One more verse from the Christmas story in verse... 15, it says this, when the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has spoken to us about. Two responses from the shepherds, maybe it helps us a little bit. They say, let's go and let's see. Maybe you follow Jesus for every day of your life, but you know what it's like to still have fears. In this moment, as we saw in the video, I want to just lead us in a prayer, because what if we went to God and gave him the opportunity to show us more peace? Maybe you show up to church once a year, or you're here because family brought you. We're so glad to have you. Maybe you're journeying through different philosophical ideas or other faith systems, and you're most welcome to do that. Maybe you're wondering how to make sense of fear you feel sometimes too. I think we, like why not? What's there to lose in trying to go to Jesus and see if he can help us in this journey? I wonder if I could pray with you and for you right now. Would you join me in bowing your head? And what we do in our church family sometimes, there's no magic in this, but we just put our hand over our heart every once in a while. Would you join me in doing that? And that's just sort of our way of saying, God, I'd let you touch me in the most inner part of who I am. I want to pray for you right now. Father, today, I mean, this is a gathering of super normal people. 
And many of us know what it's like to feel like we're on the outside or that we don't belong or we have a worry, a fear, a nagging concern about something. And Christmas, the coming of Jesus, is this beautiful gesture from your world to ours saying, I care, I'm coming, I'm going to help you. And so I pray that for each of us gathered today, you would meet us in the places of our deepest, darkest fears, and you would instead bring hope and peace and love. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing together in response, so why don't we stand together right now? Many of you may be familiar with the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and the word Emmanuel means God with us, and this song is sort of this cry that we're in trouble and we need the help of God. So as we sing this together, may this be part of your response to God in this time. Let's sing.
don't you have your seats? As we move towards concluding our gathering this afternoon, I want to introduce you to a great cause in our community. And many of you who make the Comox Valley home, you know what it's like to experience need in your life or you know of others with need in their life. We have the privilege as a church family to be partnering with this great work. And I want to introduce you to, if you don't know already, Chad and Tanya and their work called Bread of Life. Would you watch this with me right now? I am Tanya Hooker and I am the executive director of Bread of Life Food Bank. And I'm Chad Hooker. I am the president of the Black Creek Bread of Life Food Bank. Together, we have been running this food bank for 11 plus years. We got started with the Bread of Life Food Bank while receiving community donations for a children and youth outreach we were overseeing in the community. And that prompted us to see a need in the community to meet the needs of children, youth, families, and uh, community people such as seniors and elderly. As we developed and became larger than what we had at any point anticipated to become, we started to grow. We had seniors as our demographics. We had children and youth that were part of our program that were in need of food. So our indoor program started to change. We have a front-end system and we have a back-end system. Uh, our front-end staff and volunteers uh, help to organize those that come in the building to do their shopping for their daily uh, groceries, their weekly groceries. Our, our back-end, uh, where a lot of people don't get to see that part of it, but that's where, that's where all the action is. So as our volunteers are organizing food in the background, Part of our requirements through the Canadian Guide of Food Banks is that we need to be weighing our food. So all of our food is weighed, sorted, categorized, and, uh, and then another team takes that on and puts that into hamper bags. So we build a monthly hamper bag system that is designed for our clients. Currently, right now, we're dealing with 500 plus clients. That people group could look very different uh, from month to month, if not year to year looking from senior citizens, fixed income, to those that are transient, homeless, really all walks of life coming in the door. Often people are nervous to come for their first time to a food bank because they're afraid of being judged or they're just not knowing of what is the environment or how they will be accepted or received or if what kind of quality the food will be when they go in the doors. So we at Black Creek Bread of Life Food Bank try and provide an area in which they feel comfortable that they're shopping for their own food. They're not being directed to pick up anything, but they are shopping for themselves of what they need for the week. This is the reason we have, as a team, decided to move in a different direction. We have a thought process and a plan to begin to start a system called Fresh Market. It's something very different than what is the norm for a food bank. We're looking at getting into, as said before, more of a shopping aspect, where people come in and can choose and curtail not only their monthly hamper, but their weekly groceries that work a little bit better for them and their families. And with this fresh market style, it allows our clients to create relationship with our volunteers. And in turn, if advocacy is needed for different needs uh, that they are seeing, such as uh, mental health or medical or 
anything to do with community, we can come alongside them and have been doing that for multiple years. The exciting part about having this program within the community has been the bridging. Over many years, we've been able to bridge businesses, individuals, organizations, churches, and many community partnerships that we've been able to become friends, family, and business partners with. This is where we need the support from individuals and communities and corporations to come alongside us to catch this vision with us so that we can be in the community for the community. Chad and Tanya are a part of our church family, and today as you leave in a few more moments, they're going to be in the lobby helping hand out hot apple cider, so if maybe you want to learn more about what they're doing or get involved in some way, you can speak with them then. As a church family, we had decided this Christmas to bring profile to what they were doing and help them as they were helping families this Christmas season. And so our initial goal was uh, for a Christmas care offering to be received of $5,000. And as we rolled this out to our congregation, somebody said, you know, uh, I'll match up to $5,000 on this. This is so important for us to get behind. So today, if you're considering a gift, in the back of the seat pocket in front of you, there's envelopes that look like this. You can write Christmas care on it, leave a gift in it, and then as you leave from the main floor or upstairs on the back walls, there's a donation box. You can slip a gift in that way or go online. And so we're inviting you uh, to help us help families in the community, and you can consider a gift if you wish. Last thing, we have two more songs to go. One we get to sing, one we get to appreciate the performance of the band. I just want to introduce Jeff Agopsowitz. Jeff, can you give us a wave over here? This is Jeff. Many who are part of our church family regularly recognize Jeff and his wife Anita, who are part of our church family here. You know, Jeff, I used to play trombone as well. Uh, but I retired after one year. It was grade seven, but that was, I had blessed too many people at that point, but you've really carried on from where I left off. Well done. Um, Jeff has coordinated a tremendous band, and I wonder if you could join me in showing appreciation both to Jeff and the band as they perform for us. Do you, do you ever have a moment where somebody you see a lot, all of a sudden you see them with glasses for the first time, and you're like, wow, they look even smarter? Um, jazz is like that. As soon as you've listened to it, like all of us are leaving today, thinking, I just feel a little more sophisticated. So uh, well done, everybody, for participating. Let's stand together. We're going to conclude our service by wishing one another a Merry Christmas in song. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Now, Jazz is not straightforward, so I have no idea how this piece is going to go, but I want you to try with me, because I just think it's more festive if somehow our arms are kind of swinging like this, you know, we wish you a Merry Christmas, and we're kind of looking at each other. I know that's awkward, so don't make eye contact, but just, I don't know, let's give it a try. Ready?
Very good. I know, I know, it's an off year for the figgy pudding. You have to come back next year if you want the figgy pudding. Well, on behalf of my wife, Laura, and myself, our family, our church, we wish you all a Merry Christmas and a most blessed 2023 in Jesus' name. May God bless you. Merry Christmas.